Episode 56 of the Driveline R&D Podcast. This week with special guest Rachel Luba, baseball agent for Trevor Bauer and others in the industry, including coaches. Today we talked about how players and agents can use data to illustrate their value, how Trevor investing in R&D has helped him in his negotiations and how teams have responded to it, the importance of social media and how to get yourself as an athlete set up for success in the future, and much more. Very interesting episode with an expert on the side of baseball that we don't often touch on. If you're itching to learn a bit more about baseball and coaching, make sure to visit edu.dravelinebaseball.com and get started on a coach's certification at 10% off using code PODCAST, all undercase at checkout. Enjoy. Trail yep. R&D Podcast, episode 56. This is Alex Caravan, Trail Baseball Manager of Data Science, drinking a bear mug because uh, Brady hates Porter, so someone's got to drink them. Thank you. Uh, Lindley, sports engineer, Trail mm-hmm. Baseball, drinking a double mountain vaporizer, uh, dry hopped pale ale. This one might slap. And I'm Anthony Brady, Manager of Sports Science, Trail Baseball, Biomechanist, primary host of the Driveline R&D Research and Drinks Podcast. Uh, no, no alcohol for me today. Just polishing off the last of this delish strawberry kiss bang. And yeah, episode 56. We got a guest today. Fire guest. Yeah, we got Rachel Luba. Thanks for joining us. Um, known as agent, uh, Rachel Luba to some people, um, you know, sports agent to the highest paid average salary player of all time. So Rachel, great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Sorry. I don't have a drink. Um, Definitely have a real job to do later, so no alcohol for me. Oh, yeah, well, is yeah, that a zero at us? Some of us are more lightweight than others, but uh, you know, <laughs> point, point taken, point taken. But uh, Rachel, yeah, and, and for the viewers, by the way, off air, Rachel and I were just uh, talking about possibly competing, shaving Rachel, shaving her head too, and then racing back to uh, <laughs> racing back to my previous hair length, see who grows their hair faster. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to keep my hair this length, but you let me know when you get there. <laughs> I'm in on that competition. <laughs> I mean, my, my hair grows fast. That's probably what. What do you think, Brady? Uh, 18 months? I think you're pushing two years. I think you're pushing two years. I would yeah. hope. I would really hope that you're pushing two years. <laughs> It'd be an insane, insane hair growth rate, if not. Yeah, Rachel, great to have you on. Like I was saying, um, you want to? I mean, at this point, you, you're definitely up there for potentially our more, most famous guest. You, you've kind of like burst on the scene. But for anyone that possibly doesn't know who you are, you, you want to give a little bit of background and how you got yourself in, you know, your current situation and and how that's been. Yeah, sure. Um, well, thanks for having me on. Um, I am a baseball agent, obviously. Um, I'm also an attorney. Um, was a gymnast at UCLA, uh, decided I wanted to be an agent, was told that I probably, I'm not really welcome in the industry because uh, I'm a female. So was pretty motivated to do exactly that and become an agent and be in the industry. Um, went to law school, became a lawyer, uh, worked as a salary arbitration attorney at the MLBPA and then ended up starting my own agency. Um, I've known obviously, well, you caravan, uh, for a while and the driveline guys, um, just cause Bauer, um, you know, his connection with driveline and, um, spent a lot of time, especially just in the years leading up to launching my agency in and around driveline and, uh, picking the brains of the different people in there. Um, just to, you know, better, better understand what you guys are doing and, you know, your guys' approach to baseball. Yeah. And that's a good point. I remember when, when I first met you, I, I wasn't, or at least I, I don't know if you always had like a really firm outline in, in your head of what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. But, but at least to me, from, from my point of view, it was like, clearly you're interested in your exploring different options and, and hiring different people. And, and I remember talking about that. Uh, so, so I was going to say like, even just stepping back a couple of years, like say like two, three years ago, how, how, how does your vision from two to three years ago match up with where you are now? Yeah. So when I always kind of took the approach, um, I guess to kind of go back my 
the reason that everyone and like agents always told me, well, there were a couple of reasons, but why I wasn't welcome in this industry was, you know, I wasn't going to be a part of, I, I couldn't fit into this boys club. I couldn't, I didn't play baseball. I couldn't do what they do. And I didn't have the ability to. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons like I kind of loved what driveline was doing was, I mean, if, even just looking at Kyle Bodie, he's not a baseball guy. Um, you know, he's an outsider that came in and used, you know, data, numbers, math, all that, and is able to, you know, now be very successful in the baseball world. So my approach was kind of taking that same, you know, that same methodology and applying it to the agent world. And first of all, I saw that, you know, the agents themselves, you know, it used to be where agents, you know, players had these lawyers, these agents who were much more, they definitely had um, the advantage over the teams. The front offices tended to be these former players who, you know, maybe weren't, they, they were baseball pe- guys, but they weren't super, super, super smart. Mm. Now what's happened is look, the front offices have gone a lot smarter. Um, you know, they're filled with a bunch of, you know, Ivy League grads and nerds. And I say that in the best way possible. Um, and our employees that keep poaching too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. People that formerly worked for us. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, see, they, they know where to, where to hire them from. But uh, so they got a lot smarter and now it's almost, it's kind of the pendulum swung in the other direction. Now they tend to have the upper hand and they have much more data that they're working with compared to a lot of the agents. And so not only did I see an inefficiency there, just in the fact that, you know, agents really aren't using data. Um, I think the way that they could um, in order to help their players. Um, but, you know, they're also, it, it's a way for me to, okay, I don't have to be buddy, buddy with you. Like data is data. If I understand the numbers, if I can value players, if I can do all these things, there's no reason that I can't, you know, do your job. So that was kind of um, the idea behind it. And uh, while I had to, I taught myself a lot of, um, you know, advanced analytics and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, really read a lot about it. Um, you know, talked to guys at driveline about, you know, different stuff that you guys were doing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I wanted to bring on analysts who could, you know, take the data, who could create different algorithms and help build out things that were much more comparable to, uh, what teams have when it comes to valuing players, when it comes to, you know, player development, not that I would say teams are the most, uh, you know, like ahead of the game in player development, yeah. development necessarily. Right. Yeah. But, you know, they still have tons more data. Um, and so I kind of wanted to build that same sort of thing that could compete uh, with teams, but on the agent side. And um, I think it's been so far um, pretty, pretty successful. Um, definitely come a long ways since I remember talking to you first, Caravan, about it. Um, but yeah, is that a is that a novel concept or kind of a novel idea as compared to other agencies? Are there like do you do you think that leveraging uh, data and analytics with you and your clients is is uh, something that's it's normal or is that above and beyond what other agencies do? I would say that it's not that normal. Um, it's something that you know a lot of a lot of agencies I think say that they use analytics and they, you know, use data and they go, they know how to go on to fan graphs and other things like this, but, you know, do they truly, do they have algorithms that can, you know, spit out values of players and predictive values? Um, there might, there might be some, I don't think it's that prevalent though. Um, also just because they don't necessarily, the, the agent side, it's hard to get, uh, you know, data, a lot of the data, because a lot of it is not publicly available, like as I'm yeah. sure you guys, you guys know. So, um, yeah, it, it's not super prevalent. Um, I think, I think agents in general tend to be more of the mindset too, that, um, you know, they've been doing this for so long, they know how to value players, but then at the, like on the other hand, you know, they 
will complain and cry collusion when, you know, their free agent gets the same offer from five different teams. And, you know, you could say, sure, there's collusion there, but you could also just argue they're all using numbers and algorithms that tend to kind of spit out the same thing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's one thing of the data that that I've noticed, or like that seems obvious in retrospect, but I didn't realize going in um, how tricky it is to have permissions like who views your data because even now we have like mlb teams and clients that are getting onboarded to our like our software platforms um and like track and edge and like you know internally we just we, we, we don't worry about what our strength coach can see or our pitching coach can see or r d can see from a player's data but but for like mlb teams it's way different like players will, won't want like one whole department of the of the team to, to view their data because they don't want to leverage against them in arbitration or whatever like you said and, and it's just crazy it just seems like from a from a very broad view it seems obvious that's like not the most efficient way right like having limited information to different parts of a player development process where like the idea should be get the player as good as possible because he plays for your team but instead it's like get the player good but also don't let him know just how good he uh, he is so he can like oh, yeah. use that information against them and like, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll keep playing well for your team, but he won't realize his true potential. And then you'll be able to like pay him like relatively peanuts to, to what he's really, truly yeah. worth. Well, you'll also see the scenarios where, you know, teams will, like, a more, more recent example, Eugenio Suarez, um, you know, he got, he was, you know, a, a decent player, um, went through arbitration or he went through his first year of arbitration. I remember because I, was on, I helped, um, argue that case or, uh, when I was at the union, um, he ended up losing that case. And then they ended up like shortly after a couple of weeks after they signed him to an extension. And, you know, if you're, uh, what kind of happened was the agents, I think they look at it and they're like, Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, that's great. You know, they signed him to this, you know, extension, it's uh, guaranteed money. And, then of course, you know, fast forward a couple couple months and he had this breakout season and they got, and then it seemed like the most team friendly contract ever. Yeah. The teams knew that he was, you yeah. know, like they saw the different, whether it was like a change, changes he made in his swing or, you know, whatever it was, teams saw it, they saw the value and they were like, Hey, we can get him for really cheap right now. We can lock him up because he doesn't realize how good he's going to be. He doesn't see the value yet. And the agents don't see it either. So they don't know. So it's hard for the agent to be like, just hold off like one more year because you're going to have a breakout season and your value is just going to skyrocket. And so teams absolutely take advantage of that. And then, you know, like they, they might, I know, you know, if you go in and you ask for, you you know, whether in any kind of negotiation, um, you know, if you say you're worth X, the team might say, no, we think you're worth a lot less. We think you're worth Y. And you might be right. And they might know you're right. But if you can't explain why, like if you don't have any data to back it up, then they're just going to say no. And then you're kind of at a loss because it's just like they're not willing to pay you that. But if you can give them the data that they have to that supports that, they're going to be like, all right, like you're right. You know, that's very interesting. Did, did your data access change uh, a, a lot or, or was it pretty minimal between when you worked at the MLPA, uh, MLBPA and where you're at now? Or, or like how, how did those roles kind of change? With the data that I had access to? Mm-hmm. Uh, the union really doesn't have anything special. Um, to be honest, I think it's a flaw in like the player side of things. I think that they should have, there should be, uh, you know, data that they have access to, um, you know, similar to the data that teams have access to. Uh, so there was nothing necessarily special that I had access to at the union. I think I'm able to, you know, do a lot more now that I'm, you know, just on my own for sure. Do do the analysts you guys hire um, are those are those like specifically for Trevor or your or your agency in general Luba Sports? So right now, um, I essentially contract them, or I, I contract them. They contract uh, their services to me, but they're a part of um, the bigger, you know, R and D stuff yeah. that Bauer is developing as well on his okay. own. Okay. Is there a, in terms of like arbitration, I guess, in general player valuation uh, across the league, is there 
pretty much similarity within teams of like what is valuable to a player or are there some teams that like value things differently like do you have to go into say like a contract talk or an arbitration differently based on the team like knowing oh, okay this team really values this metric this team values this or is it pretty similar across the board um, I think it, it depends on the type of negotiation. If it's if we're talking uh, salary arbitration, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's mm. pretty similar across the board. There's certain the things that matter are the most basic things that you and I would laugh about that were like you know wins and losses don't mean shit, but they do in arbitration. Um, oh, wow. Just like you know the most important. Thing, it's like for if you're a pitcher, it's you know your innings pitched, your ERA, FIP. Uh, you know, you could throw in war, but you know, if it's, if your reference war is different fan, than fanograph yeah. and you can oh, yeah. almost just muddy the waters there and say, you know, do we really know what war means? No, we don't, uh, like stupid things like that. So in terms of like arbitration, it's pretty standard and it's essentially your like grandma and grandpa who don't know baseball that that's who's making the decision. Oh, uh, yeah. They're labor arbitrators. So if we're talking about arbitration, pretty, pretty standard across the board, um, you know, in free agency and things like that. Um, you know, I think it's, you tend to see, um, like it, it changes over the years in terms of what, you know, whether it's, you know, even if it's talking pitching, like whether, you know, the league tends to like, you know, fly ball pitchers versus, you know, ground ball pitchers, things like that right. change. I think that, but that changes more across the board. And then there's more, you know, um, I guess different teams might have different needs and things that they are, you know, that are important to them that they really want. So, you know, you kind of tailor fit it there. Um, yeah. but I think it, yeah, in general, it's a, it's a little more, um, you know, team specific when it comes to, you know, a free agent contract. Yeah. Do you think so there's a, I was going to say, do you think there's like potential for the metrics and stuff used uh, for player value to continue to uh, develop, especially with more technologies coming into the space? Like we've, we've talked a bunch about like Hawkeye this year, potentially like popularizing, you know, biomechanics and whatnot a lot more in the space. Uh, just like the generation of new, metrics and valuations is it the agents and players are more likely to adapt to that quicker and then the league catches up or do you think you're just going to operate on what the league values as valuable i guess i think it's i wouldn't say like the player side they're not usually the ones in terms of just value like you know, valuing what, what's valuable and what's not, um, you know, teams are going to use, they're going to have the resources to use all the technology right. and kind of move it forward there. And then I think it tends to be that players then react and they say, okay, so now this is more valuable. Now I focus on this and then I can increase my value. Um, you know, but I think there are, um, players out there who, who are very in tune with that kind of stuff and are trying to be ahead of the curve. I think, you know, uh, like my client Bauer is obviously a good example of that. Um, yeah. who you know, he's always trying to, you know, use the, the technology to, you know, kind of get one, one step ahead of everybody. Um, because, yeah. you know, again, it's like now, I mean, even, you know, several years ago throwing, you know, a hundred was like, wow. And yeah. now it's pretty like, it, you know, especially if you want to come out of the pen, like you better be throwing a hundred kind of thing. Um, you know, and now it's shifted more to spin rate or, you know, whatever it is, but you know, you're always trying to kind of adapt, adjust, use the different technology and kind of be, you know, one step ahead of it. Yeah. Speaking of a team, team specific needs or team specific like, uh, conversations and maybe, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but, um, like were teams pretty taken aback about how R and D heavy Trevor was when it came to free agency negotiations or portraying his value. And, and also did any, was there any consideration or thought to include his media presence as a selling factor? Like not just, not just this guy is, you know, trying his absolute best to keep redesigning his pitches, push like cutting edge R and D stuff into baseball, 
but also he's also a voice for, for a lot of people in MLB and has like a growing sort of media uh, channel. Yeah. So, I mean, the two parts to that, the R and D stuff, I would say was absolutely a selling point for them. Um, They view it as not only are you going to come up, not only are you going to provide value for us, you know, when you take the mound, um, we totally realize the value that you will add to our organization in terms of just, you know, learning from you, you know, Trevor wants to teach other people. He wants to collaborate. He wants to do all these things. He wants to help other players. Um, I think, you know, while in the beginning of his career, he tend to have this, um, this kind of reputation for not being a great clubhouse guy. Most teams I think would tell you just flat, you know, outright that that's just not the case. And, um, you know, I, I, when he got traded to Cincinnati, I remember I think it was Nick Goody's, um, one of the relievers there uh, in uh, Cleveland at the time, I think he said in some article or whatever that the biggest winners of that trade were, you know, Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo and basically like the guys in the rotation in Cincinnati because Bauer, he adds that much value just, just being there. Um, So in terms of just like his use, like the R and D stuff, I mean, teams loved it. They, you know, were drooling at the idea of getting to add. It's not even a great, it's not just a great pitcher, but it's like another great mind who, you know, is going to take their pitching staff to the next level. Um, The second part of that, you know, the media, Um, we absolutely used it uh, to, you know, when kind of talking about the value that Bauer adds, there are very few, I, I think, so I remember with Bryce Harper, um, I know Boris kind of talked about that and that was, you know, part of like his value was like, he is the face of baseball, right? So he has this added value mm-hmm. and you could make that argument, you know, about a handful of players, but I think there are very few players, even like Bryce Harper, who are at the level of Bauer in terms of just the media attention and the popularity that he can bring. I mean, you take a city like Cincinnati, for example, Bauer, I mean, he made fans like across the country, you know, with fans of a whole bunch of different teams. What, right. Yeah. Like interested in Cincinnati and like yeah, the Cincinnati yeah. Reds and like, let's be honest, who else normally, I mean, <laughs> I, like nice hat. I like the Reds hat, but like <laughs> most people don't tend to give a crap yeah. about it for the, the podcast he, he yeah. that hat for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. But, but, but that's what, so like he made, he brought attention. He made the Reds in a lot of ways. I'm not going to say like he alone made them relevant, but like he brought a lot of attention to them and just in terms of fans. And so obviously there's teams like, you know, New York, big, really big markets that don't necessarily need that. But, you know, for smaller markets, that was huge, especially when you have COVID-19 where you've lost a ton of money in terms of just like the, you know, fan attendance and all that stuff to bring something you know, this additional kind of value add of popularity, it goes a long way. Any team that signs a big player though, is, you know, going to get that boost in, um, you know, kind of fan support. Along those lines of R and D and also uh, media, I'd like to hear from like both aspects. I know you represent some minor leaguers and obviously they're not going to have the same following that a big leaguer or, or somebody like Trevor does. Um, but how do you think, what are some, because re- obviously they're not going to have the same resources as far as R&D and being able to hire analysts and things like that. Are there resources or are there approaches that you've kind of talked to your clients about uh, potentially doing something similar to understand their value better and to um, kind of grow their, grow their career and grow their media presence at all? Yeah. So with like the minor league guys that I have, um, usually like, so I'll have my analysts do like a full deep dive on just where, where they're at right now. And then, you know, if they've got, so let's say, you know, the first thing aside from if they were offered a contract, uh, you know, an extension, they're going to hit arbitration. So with that in mind, you know, we go through like, what are the big things that are going to increase your value in arbitration? And then what are your underlying, you know, kind of 
stats that we can work on to improve to ultimately improve the you know the things that matter in arbitration to improve your value. Um, so obviously things like that, um, as well as you know just using social media as well. I always you know preach the importance of it. Um, I understand like I have you know guys who don't like social media at all, and like that's fine. Um, but you know for for so many they don't truly understand really like one the value and two then how to you know utilize it in the best way um you know you can get everything from a lot a lot of my like uh or a lot of players i talk to like minor league guys i ask them like what is your what does your agent do for you in the minor leagues why do you have an agent mm. and they're like the most valuable thing that my agent does is they give me free bats or you know free cleats or whatever it is PB and J sandwiches. What? They they ship them PB and J sandwiches. But so I you know I look at that and I'm like okay well you know you don't really need an agent then um, like let me tell you what you can do on social media get on your social media start posting things and I'm gonna give you a list of these companies they're smaller companies but they make great stuff they'll send you free stuff now you don't have you don't need an agent like you get the free stuff and you're doing that all, you know, through social media and you're building your brand. And then a lot of it too, you know, I, and I talk to guys about this is like, you got to realize that, you know, think about eventually your career is going to end. It could be, could be tomorrow and it could be in 20 years. You don't know. Right. But it's going to end. And then what are you going to do next? And so right now, the best time to, you know, especially like I've got a guy, he wants, he's thought about going into broadcasting or, you know, something like something in baseball, but, um, you know, like media, then, you know, the best thing he can do right now is grow his, you know, social media so that he's got more of a, you know, presence. And the best time to do that is when you're a, you know, professional athlete. I know minor league, like you're not in the big leagues yet, but you're still a professional athlete. You still get that blue check mark. You, yeah. you know, usually they've gotten a little stricter, but like you, people, people don't really know the difference. And if you just, you can you throw around and use professional athlete and that's enough for most people. They're like, Oh wow. You know, and they'll follow you. It's a lot easier to grow. It's a lot easier to, you know, build things when you're still a professional athlete. Once you retire, it's a lot harder. Yeah. yeah. I think that speaks to kind of, I mean, b- both you and Trevor, by the way, are obviously like really good at using social media, I think. And, and it's kind of funny because, you know, clearly Trevor has this pl- plenty of naysayers as well on, uh, on, on Twitter. And, and I'll, I'll see like co- occasional comments, like people trying to disparage him or just being like, you know, a- angry Mets fans, just like, you, you know, what? Like, I, 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 I'm glad he didn't go to the Mets or like, Oh, he doesn't even know what he's doing. He's totally tanking his value. And I was like, is he really? Because he just landed a highest average annual salary after essentially like a, a shortened season. You know, like if like people that criticize Trevor, I feel like only adds to his um, capabilities even off the field because people will be like, oh, whatever. It was a shortened season. He put up these like crazy stats, but it was a shortened season. And it's like, OK, if that's the case, then, you know, everyone knows it's shortened season. Doesn't that make it even more impressive yeah. that he landed that crazy contract? In that, with all the supposed like negative stuff on social media, clearly, clearly, it's not that negative because uh, the people that make the decision like don't think so. The people, well, that's like the the biggest thing you just said right there is like the most important like disconnect that I feel like most people don't really realize is like what people on social media think is important versus what the teams talk about, even what the media writes about is yeah. important. I was like, usually they're so far off base in the, you know, the teams, they're not going to come out and say anything, but I can tell you like, there's a huge disconnect there to begin with. Um, and look, I mean, people, yeah, they shit on Bauer on like for his use of social media. I get shit on nonstop for my use as an agent on social media. But at the end of the day, I mean, I mean, I even look at just with my use of social media. I mean, first of all, like I created a platform and essentially like I don't need writers. I can, I use writers sometimes, but I don't need them. Right. So I've, you know, kind of bypassed that middleman that everyone said, you know, when everyone was like, you can't be best friends with them. So you're going to have a hard time. Like I just created my own platform. First of all, second of all, like the amount of passive recruiting that I can do on there, um, you know, and even just in, you know, like a little over a year that I've had my agency, 
Um, you know, I'm the most followed agent on like all social media platforms. And, you know, like that, there, like there's a lot of value and the, the, like the haters are going to be the loudest. They're the ones yeah. who, you know, who shit on it. And they're like, oh, you know, you just want, she just wants attention and it's going to hurt her value. And GMs don't want, like, first of all, GMs don't give a shit. By the way, they also yeah. like, they look at everything that I post and like they've t- they'll tell me like oh yeah i saw that thing you posted on yasiel and like yeah. they watch that and like hey that means that like i have just as much you know influence and you know ability to get things in front of a gm just as a writer does right so i mean yeah people that hate it it's i mean either they're you know like they have no clue and they're just out of touch with what actually matters or you know they're uncomfortable with it and so they'll shit on it but there's so much value and whatever the the people that hate on it the people that hate bauer and his use of it that hate my use um you know they're just people that are still like very uncomfortable with society and like you know just business and stuff moving forward on you know like social media platforms yeah but, yeah yeah they don't have they don't have any context yeah do you think any of that's going to change after this after this season with a successful free agency for for Bauer and your rep, and your uh, representation of it? Um, like just in terms of people using social media. Yeah, just like the general feeling around that and what, what's right and what's wrong. Do you think that more maybe more agents are gonna going to use that approach, and or do you think people are going to start being more okay with it after after this happens? A couple like I mean just once, uh, is enough. I mean, uh, or I feel like should be enough, but yeah, I think, I mean, I think you already kind of, like, I've even kind of seen it where so, like some agents I see like are starting to be on it a little more and are a little more vocal. And I'm like, that's cool. Like they're also the same ones shitting on me for it, but <laughs> like they're, and it's the same thing just where like everyone got upset, you know, and uh, they're mad about, you know, whether it was like Bauer wanting to control the narrative and all that. And then you start seeing shortly after other players who are being the ones to, you know, announce where they're going and not letting the media do it and things like that. Um, they're like, I think it's going to take a long time for people to look back and be like, look, like Bauer was really one of the first to do this. And he like, look how much he's helped players by doing what he did first. Um, you know, same thing. I think like it's going to help the agent, you know, industry if they get on social media. Um, but I'll always have kind of like that a bad rap for it. Maybe later on people will be like, Oh, like actually that made sense. But, um, but I do think, yeah, people eventually like they hate on it and then they adopt it. Do you think uh, like when we just talk like social media platforms, building a following, uh, I mean, mainly it's got to be Twitter, right? I know the with like momentum, there's the vlogs and YouTube, um, probably Instagram as well. But are there any other like major platforms outside of really Twitter or anything that, that you'd like push hard on or you could see being being valuable from that, that side? Um, I, I guess there's like that. What is it? Clubhouse or something. But I don't. Oh, yeah. I have it. I don't use it. Um, I haven't used it. Maybe that'll be the next thing. I do think though, I mean, Twitter really is, it's like I have all my my different uh, social media platforms have kind of like a different purpose for them. Um, Instagram is like the, that's kind of where, you know, one of my like big things just in, you know, what I want to do is kind of help um, you know, change and make things better for, you know, young girls who want to work in sports and kind of normalizing, you know, being feminine and also working in sports. So like, that's kind of where I use my Instagram for, and it's, you know, showing like that side of me. Um, Twitter is more of where, you know, that's all the, where I put out information. That's, you know, where I interact with the baseball community, um, you know, and can put out opinions about things. Um, I use, you know, YouTube, um, you know, I've started to like make different, you know, informational, uh, you know, videos on there to kind of explain and, you know, kind of get, build more of a reputation as being, you know, someone who's like an expert and understands and can teach certain, you know, insides of the baseball industry that a lot of people don't understand. But so I think there are different, um, there are definitely different purposes of different social media platforms, um, at least how I use them. I think Twitter is going to always be a really big one. Um, I don't really like, I think YouTube would be great. The problem is it's like, you need one where people can interact. And I feel like YouTube's yeah. really hard yeah. for 
people yeah. to really interact. Twitter's the most, like the closest that where it's like people can, you know, right. you, you can see them interact on there. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was so funny. Um, like the, the night Trevor announced he was going to the Dodgers and then like everyone's like tweeting like, Oh yeah, he's going to the match. And you're just like two teams still left, two teams still left. It was so was, funny. It was just like, such a good indication of like, why, why the hell would these reporters know better than you or, or, or the client? You know, they're like trying to get you on it. They're trying to like beat you to the punch. And it's like, Nope, two teams still there. left. There, they were like they were wrong so many times yeah. with so many things, and then some of the things I couldn't, I couldn't refute necessarily because it would, hurt. like, I yeah. had to balance like the integrity of the negotiation with what people were saying, and so, so and, and like certain things also I realized I'm like this is just like I don't have time for this shit. Fine, make up bullshit, yeah. and people will believe it. And I'm sorry, but, um, but that one at that point I kind of looked at it and felt like this wasn't right to the other team that we were negotiating with. I mean, we, there was literally a writer who said we had a deal with, yeah. you know, with the Mets. Um, and so, you know, I, I tweeted that out. I think that was like my, um, like best performing tweet ever. Um, just in terms of like engagement and interactions on that yeah. one, when I said down to two, um, but there was something like the, they said we had a deadline. We didn't have a deadline. Um, I don't know what, where that came from, but there's so many um, just like, yeah, false things that were in the media, but also it, you know, it, it made me realize too, there's certain te- it depends on the team you're negotiating with that because you know, when um, you know, even in the end it was like, well, things were being leaked when we would talk to the Mets in real time. Um, yeah. And so and people thought it was us too. And I'm like, you guys realize like we're the ones who get mad at the media. Like we're not, <laughs> we're not leaking anything. We're the ones who are annoyed that the media is doing it. Um, but you know, there were teams. Yeah. Like we would talk to them and things were getting out in real time, but like a little skewed or not totally correct in, in the team's favor usually. Um, but then there were, you know, like, look, the Dodgers, I mean, most people didn't even really know they were in it until the very end. And no one, if you notice, there wasn't any, there weren't any rumors about any of the monetary like dollar figures when it came to um, the Dodgers. But then on the flip side, like the Mets that how many different, you know, numbers and different types of contracts did you hear thrown around? Um, It it just, so it depends on the team because like the Dodgers were very, you know, it it was all in-house like tight lip, you know, no one was as long, like we weren't saying anything and the team wasn't. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, dynamic. Is that, is that typically how it goes? Like if you're, if you're going into a, into a negotiation and there's a lot of, a lot of discussion and a lot of rumors and a lot of all this about uh, a certain team. And then this other team that may be more serious are the more serious teams that are actually in the more of a hunt for the contract. Are they kind of keeping it on the down low more? Or is that just in this case, um, in this specific case with Trevor? It, it usually depends on the team and what the team's angling for. So, like, there were certain teams that put out, like, we would get off a call. I, I mean, I think, I mean, even the, the the Padres, after we talked to them, they went they went to the media. They said, you know, we, we spoke to their agent, like, his agents, and we said, you know, keep us informed about anything because they were trying to influence, I believe it was like with the Snell trade. Hmm. So they had an angle there. So they were, you know, in the media, um, you know, certain teams like they want it to, you know, like they want there to be rumors and stuff because sometimes it's like they're angling for something else, but they think it's going to push an, another team to jump in, you know, to whatever, jump in, everyone's like angling for different things and yeah so it's just a big chessboard yeah and so i mean a lot of times it's you know the teams that are you know using it to angle for different things um but you know so it, it depends like there are teams that are very much like very serious in the negotiation that you know let the media know and then there are other teams that are very quiet and more of like the dark horse in it Makes sense. We uh we actually got a couple couple questions in the in the chat in the live stream. And there might be some that you can't touch on, but uh the one of the first ones was how uh Yasel Puig's free agency compared to Bowers 
from the agent side, uh, both in terms of like demand and openness to the public. And, uh, and then the follow-up second question is, and when is he signing with the Nationals? So um, yeah. the, the first question mainly. Um, the His is obviously, it's, it's very different. Um, you know, he's a, I got him, um, I signed him the end of last year. Obviously he didn't have a job the following year, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. Um, with his other representation. So, you know, going into it, it was a little bit, um, a little bit tougher. It wasn't definitely a very different process than representing, uh, Bauer. Um, but you know, we're currently, you know, he's still, you know, training and staying in shape and ready. It's, it's kind of a, it's a shitty, um, you know, environment with COVID, um, and what happened with a lot of teams where they, um, you know, there are very few teams that are really going for it, um, especially because one, we don't have the universal DH and then two, we don't have expanded playoffs this year. Um, so because of that, a lot of teams, instead of having, you know, more than 50% make it to the playoffs, you, you know, you're going to have the normal amount, which means that a lot of teams are looking at it and they're saying, look, we really don't have that good of a chance to make it that deep. So instead of spending a lot, a lot of money and trying to win, um, we got hit pretty hard, you know, everyone did last year with, you know, COVID-19. So let's just give our rookies, you know, and our young guys and the prospects, you know, at bats and things like that. Um, and this year's a wash. And that's what a lot of teams are kind of, you know, doing. Um, so, you know, a player like, like Yasiel, it's a lot, it's a lot harder, uh, cause you know, he's a veteran, he's a veteran guy. Um, and while normally that would carry a lot of value, this year, a lot of teams, like the value is in just giving at bats to, to the young guys um, and more of like throwaway at bats yeah. in a sense. So, especially coming off a year that's probably filled with a lot of player development, right? A lot of those young guys maybe got more, uh, got more physical and, and skill changes. Uh, and since with the basically yeah. min- minimized minor leagues. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Nice. Uh, and then no, no comment on when he's going to sign with the, with the national. No comment on that one. Okay. That that's fair. Uh, the other, other questions, um, uh, wrestler was actually asking, uh, former guest on the podcast last episode, actually, um, tools or I guess anything specific, uh, you do to like build more of a following, um, on social media and then related what, what technologies would you kind of recommend for minor leaguers? I guess, is there anything they could kind of uh, get themselves to maybe help, you know, understand their value, their own development as they're going. And, and, and Mike Ressler, CTO of Diamond Kinetics. So, um, you know, te- technology to consider as well, I'm sure from his point of view. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the the technology, like, that's available, um, you know, whether it's we're fo- like you're focusing on hitting or, you know, pitching, there's there's a ton out there and, uh, you know, a ton you can do. I think, you know, some of, um, you know, the best things you can do are, you know, focus on, um, you know, go- going to a place in the offseason like driveline or, you know, something like that where, you know, you can actually, you know, you focus on whatever kind of weapons that you can develop to make you valuable. Also going to your team sometimes and asking, say, Hey, what, what, what would I have to do in order to be a big leaguer? What do you need to see in me? Because a lot yeah. of times like, guys don't even know the answer to yeah. that. Because that's, that's such really a, important. that's a, that's such an important question to ask. Like, Hey, what changes could I make or what changes could I make that would in your eyes make me like, all right, like that there's someone worthy of bringing up to the big leagues. Yeah. Cause sometimes it's not what they think it is, you know, someone, and then now you have like an actual, um, you know, tangible thing or, you know, something that you, you know, that I got to work on because if I work on this, if I can improve this, then the, you know, that's going to help me instead of mm-hmm. a lot of players just sit there and they're just wonder and they're like, you know, I don't know what else I can do um, to get called up. Sometimes just go in and ask, say, what can I do? What, you know, what would it take um, in terms of like a social media um, following and, you know, what to do there. A lot of it is one, just post, um, be active on there. That's like sometimes the hardest thing. I mean, when I look at guys accounts, I mean, if the, if you have it, what, if it's, you know, middle of March now, 
I mean, if you've got three or four posts, you know, on Instagram or tweets, you know, from since the beginning of the year, like do more, like you got to do more. Um, and you know, find something that you are passionate about, whether, you know, and engage in that, like on that and put stuff out there about that. Um, it doesn't have to be, especially like for players, it doesn't have to be baseball, um, you know, specific, whatever hobbies you might have, you know, put that out, like engage in that kind of stuff and people that, especially like fans who relate to that, whether if you like fishing or hunting or, you know, whatever it is, like they're going to be drawn to like to you and they're going to want to follow you. But you know, a lot of it is just actually engaging, posting and being active on there. And, and, and Rachel, I know you got to go soon, uh, probably in a couple of minutes, if not now, but, but, but I was going to ask you kind of, kind of loop into, you know, the own competing podcast you run of uh, Jessica Kleinschmidt. How 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 has that been going? And um, what what kind of what kind of wine do you recommend when uh, I come on as a guest? Yeah, I know we are we are gonna have you on, huh? Um, even though I think it was this this podcast copied ours. Right? No way. <laughs> what would you? When was you guys' the first episode? I, I could have sworn we were first. Uh, during like quarantine. Oh yeah, we were we were way before quarantine. We were a whole okay, two we months. Before we were quarantine. way before quarantine. Yeah, we were like we were <laughs> uh, early, early February last year because our first few Val- episodes Valentine's were before Day. lockdown. So yeah, it was um, on Valentine's Day. We, I think we got three episodes in before yeah. we had to quarantine, and then it was like it was all downhill from there. Gotcha. fully remote. Well, care now. Remember when you thought Caravan that this podcast had better hair? than the corked up podcast i think you single-handedly ruined it for <laughs> for your podcast okay so i'll be on the podcast in, in two years yes i, oh. I, I, can, I can read between the lines when your hair <laughs> is as beautiful as mine and just Schmidt's, hers is way better than mine then then you can be on our podcast i'm kidding though you can come on but just know like we're totally going to show you up when it comes to our hair <laughs> oh man I mean, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to. It. I've been showing everyone up for the last couple of years. Yeah. I'm looking to be, uh, you know, not pulling my weight on the hair thing for <laughs> once in a while. Well, I'm not gonna lie. I was pretty excited to to have you on and with like the luscious locks. Oh, I still have the hair. I still have the hair. I still have the hair. I haven't I haven't gone rid of it. I put it in an envelope and I was gonna give it to um, Kyle Bodie, but I forgot to give it to him. I, I was in Arizona for like a couple of days. <laughs> But I have it with me at driveline, so um, you know we I can figure something out. Something like admirable, like you were going to donate it to, you know, like Box of Love or one of those. Camp- no, he was just going to hand. He was just going to give yeah, it by hand to Bodie. Handed to somebody. I'm gonna donate the corked up. I'm gonna donate the corked up. That's even worse. That's even worse. What's your favorite wine, though? I just went to Sonoma this weekend to go wine tasting. I'm very curious. Did you? Ooh, yeah, I love. Yeah, incredible. Sonoma. Um, I, I'm a big, like, I don't know, Pinot or, you know, Mer- I do love Merlot. Um, but there, I had a really good, I don't even, it was from Santa Barbara. I was in Santa Barbara this weekend. Um, it was like a local Santa Barbara Pinot that was fantastic. Um, but I'm definitely a more of a red wine, red wine person. Although Jess and I have learned that when we drink red wine, our like on the podcast, especially because like we're recording, our teeth like get all red and dark. Yeah. And so we usually, yeah. So we usually do like a lighter, you know, a white wine. But I do like red wine. Yeah, I, I actually learned everything I know about wine in the last couple of weeks. I went wine tasting twice with my friend who, who's in a wine. Max and now you, you're like a sommelier now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just no, no. I, I just learned what a malbec is. Yeah. That's, that's, I still that's, don't. That's I, I still don't know what that is. Yeah, actually, also when I said it, I actually don't know if I know what it is. <laughs> I said it, and now I don't know if I actually know what a what a Malbec is. I just remember like that being like a thing. I was like, oh, that's right. I keep hearing that. That is a okay. That is a wine. Yeah. Malbec. <laughs> I'll I'll be honest with you though. Like I'm not a big. I grew up in the wine like area too in Carmel Valley. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And near Sonoma, um, but I I'm not like a huge wine snob, um, and I always get like. If I go to, when I go to restaurants and like, and you know, like they pour and they want you to taste it. And I'm like, I don't know what they want me to say. I'm not going to be like, oh, you know, like this isn't good enough. Um, I, I'm not that picky. I probably should learn wines a little, a little better. Um, 
but I usually am with someone else who's like, you know, a wine snob. And so I just let them handle it. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I bet otherwise you just go, yeah, give, give me the house red. Yeah. <laughs> what I like, uh, yeah, I just choo- choose one of them. Um, I have the, the one person who's like probably worse than me, uh, would be like, I've seen when Bauer has to order a wine and he has no fucking clue. Oh, yeah. Like he doesn't drink. And so he'll get swindled into like buying the nicest bottle because they're, he'll just like ask them and they're like, well, you know, you really should go with this one. And it's usually the most expensive one on there. And he's like, all right. Uh, and usually you, I mean, not, you can't tell the difference between, you know, like what, you know, like house, like the cheapest one and then the most expensive, but you know, because he's, you know, has no clue and they can like smell that they're like, yeah. oh get this dude to buy the most expensive one. Yeah. That's hilarious. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah. And thanks for having me guys. Uh, sorry. I had to have to bounce uh, quickly, but I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, you'll have to teach, uh, Jess and I how how you do this live thing. That's kind of cool. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, no, just, just feel free to, uh, you know, pay us some royalties when you, when you guys podcast blows up or for for agency contract. Jerry did by giving us the uh, um, go to you know go to driveline in the off season mm. the the, yeah, the sure. driveline endorsement there that's a hundred million dollar endorsement the plug, right? yeah. <laughs> like what more do you want yeah um, so yeah any I'll any tips on, back is what he wants yeah any tips on setting <laughs> up live I mean yeah definitely down well we'll have to have you guys on um, we'll we'll have all you guys we'll do like a, a driveline corked up collab let's go, let's go. I'm Maybe, so- what. I brought some nice Pinot Noirs from Sonoma. I'll have I'll have one of those on the Ooh, on the podcast. Ready. Oh yeah. There you go. Okay. Save save it for save it for our pod and yeah. we'll we'll pop that bottle. That's and cool. I'll be saving my hair for the pod too. So. <laughs> just please give that to Kyle and be done with it. Or donate it. <laughs> one of the two. Or just be done with it. Just be done. <laughs> just be done with it, period. Yes. If he gives it to Kyle, it won't be done with for a very long time. Kyle I, will Kyle I, will keep it. I have a feeling, yeah, that's the case. But <laughs> Yikes! Well, it the I, I'm glad I can see your beautiful face now, Alex. And <laughs> that's that's a yeah. perfect way to end this. Uh, I've been getting out a lot. I've been getting out, getting out a lot. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Well, Please. see right, you guys. guys. Yeah, appreciate it. Have a good yeah. one. You as well. Thanks, Thanks for coming you. on again. See you. Of course. Have a good one.